Well, good morning. It is great to be with you. And uh, Keith, well, I think Keith said it well. I, I may not be in a, a formal role as I once was. That has nothing to do with friendship and fellowship in Christ. Uh, nothing has changed in that regard. And, and so I'm just so grateful to be here with you this morning. I would have happily just sat in and listened as Keith or one of your pastors opened the word to us. So Keith, it's kind of you to provide the opportunity this morning for me to get into the scriptures with you from the pulpit. Uh, this, is, this is something that beats near and dear to our hearts at Metro and in mine. And I have to tell you, I, I'm just in faith for what the Lord wants to do as we go to his word together. I, I do want to make sure I'm faithful to say hello and I have to just confess in doing so because many of you may be newer and aren't aware, but there, there's a rich relational history between Metro Life Church in Orlando and Lakeview here in New Orleans. So Wednesday, Thursday, as folks were aware that, oh, you're going up to Lakeview. Would you say hi to? And I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got, okay. Would you, would you? So I've forgotten all that. So, so Lakeview Metro says hello uh, to you. So now I feel my conscience is clear and we can go forward. But it has been a great weekend. Uh, I've got to take in your World War II Museum, which was phenomenal. Uh, and to do that with my son, Bennett, and, and my friend Nick was a joy. And, and as Keith said, to, to be uh, in LSU garb last night, and happily so, uh, to, to be there to watch that game. It was fun that it went down to the end. It was an absolute blast. Uh, but we do want to turn our attention from that which is natural. Although I'm not sure Fournette is, Fournette is natural. That, it's, God is doing something in that guy. Because uh, just some of his runs are ridiculous. Uh, they have to be being powered by someone other than himself. But uh, we are going to turn to that other one this morning. Would you open in your Bibles to Acts 4? As Keith alluded to, whether we're Old Testament pilgrims, New Testament, uh, or modern day 2015, right here in New Orleans or Metro in Orlando or wherever we hail from, it is the same need. The title this morning is The Spirit Gives Life and Power and Witness. And I put that dot, dot, dot to try to get at and, 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 and. Everything we need for life and godliness comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives miracle. And I think as you we're in Exodus 17 last week. One of the things that you see there is Israel is really in this struggle between living out and thinking out and reacting in the natural compared to the counterintuitive work of supernatural. That, that everything Israel needed to have, have happen for them wasn't going to come about by their ability, their management, their strategizing. It was going to come from the Spirit. And when I believe the scriptures would teach us that we need to live the same. So what I'm going to do this morning is read from Acts 4, talk about that briefly, bring a modern day story from a recent trip to India, and then the implications for our lives. And uh, those of you who've been to Rancho 3M, I think as I share some things about India, you'll find parallels, you'll find relevance there. But let's begin, let's read Acts 4 from our Bibles, verses 23 to 31. And then if you would pray with me. 
This is Peter and John leading the church in prayer. They say, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and now this next verse is from Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this morning as we gather, we've never gathered in this moment. It's never happened before. And Lord, you made a promise that every morning, every day, your mercies are new because great is your faithfulness. And so we're appealing to you to have new mercies fall on Lakeview today. And Lord, I'm coming and I pray that there is a unity in this approach to you, which is this. These verses are living and active they are not preserved only as a history lesson. In fact, history is the last thing that's in view here. Rather, the prayer Peter and John and their friends prayed that day can be prayed in faith in our day. And so, Lord, I want to pray for myself, for all of us, that you would fill us up that we could continue to be a people who will boldly testify to the world about Jesus. And while we pray for that for us, we're asking you to keep on stretching out your hand. And Lord, if that challenges any of us to wonder, well, well, this is really something the early church had, but we shouldn't expect it. Well, then, Lord, I, I ask you, bring that challenge. Because every day I've tried to live my life by maintenance, I fall so short. You're a God of miracle. Please come down. We ask in your name. Amen. We need a spirit-filled life because we need miracle, not maintenance. I want to tell you right away so that I'm not plagiarizing. I heard Ray Ortland Jr., a pastor from Nashville, Tennessee, say that, and I thought, my goodness, that's it. And when he said that, 
he, he didn't mean miracle only in, in the narrow sense of, of, of seeing a, a physical manifestation of a healing or a particular miracle. Rather, he's talking about our whole life as believers, as sons and daughters of God, saints of God. That ours are to be lives marked by miracle, not maintenance. Now again, just a couple qualifications. I don't mean by this, name it, claim it, faith. I don't mean by this that, that we're, we're living from one uh, unique, uh, wow, miracle to another. But, but really, a, as the heartbeat of our life, we are desperate to be a spirit-filled people, a supernatural people, a people of miracle, not merely maintenance, not merely we got this. Or, to go back to your message last week, uh, people who, when confronting whatever the obstacles of life are, go into natural mode. What can we do to fix this, change this? Maybe we got to go back, maybe this or that. I mean, you've seen it already. You're going to keep seeing that through Exodus. They live by sight. Wasn't that their biggest problem? They're living by sight constantly. When God is calling them to live by faith in Him which isn't always compatible with what we can physically see, is it? And I believe that is as much before us today as it was in their day. So I want to look at this, this moment in the early church, then progress to some friends in India and then our lives. So, so why this question? Why pray for boldness when they're already bold? You see, this is what's going on here. This, this, this first few chapters of Acts, they're fast and furious and, and they're praying, but what, what preceded this? Well, well, you're familiar with Acts, many of you. On the day of Pentecost, back in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came and filled the believers, and the church exploded in growth. Remember, Peter preaches his first sermon, and a couple thousand got saved, just like when Keith preaches here. It's the same thing. It's just exploding in growth, and, and now here... They're, they're marching on, they're, they're, they're praying, they're preaching, things are happening. Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple to pray. And there's a lame man on the steps of the temple, you remember this, and he's asking for money. Apparently Peter forgot his wallet that day, he doesn't have any money. But Peter, Peter who, run away, who ran away from a servant girl about 42 or 43 days earlier, with boldness, looks at this lame man, says, I don't have any money. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's natural. Isn't that how you walk around, French Quarter? You, rise up and walk. That lame man did walk, and he went leaping right into the temple praising God. I want to remind you of something. If we're tempted to write it, well, you know, Peter, he's an apostle. He's like special grace and all that. Yeah, yeah. God called him to do some things. That's me in my back pocket, I think. God called Peter to do some things. But when Jesus promised to pour out the Holy Spirit, he did not limit that to 12 dudes who are all now dead. He said, this is going to be for all my sons and daughters to come. Prophesying from Joel. So let, let's not get lost. Well, you know, Peter, come on. You going with Peter? More than an apostle, Peter was a son of God just like many of you, and daughters of God. Well, the crowd is amazed, rightly so. They've seen this guy, right? I mean, he's always on the temple steps. Day after day after day, he's there. They've never seen this guy get up. And now today he does. 
You think that's going to get some people's attention? You know, you know that guy or that person wherever in New Orleans that you see all the time? Yeah, you may not even know them personally, but you know enough about them that you'd recognize the change, right? Well, they do. And, of course, this leads to the city praising God right out in front of the temple. And so Peter and John go on. They keep on preaching. The religious leaders get wind of what's going on. They're filled with annoyance and fear because more and more people are turning to Jesus. Their authority, their traditions, their everything is getting put to the test. Their naturalism is getting challenged. So they do what's the logical, natural thing to do. Arrest them. Peter and John are now in jail for the night. While they're there, the religious leaders are debating, what do, what do we do? We can't, we can't deny that this guy was healed. Everybody knows this guy. So that's not an option. So what can we do? So they're, they're, they're working through the natural options. What can we do? They can't do much, so they threaten Peter and John to say no more about Jesus. And I love it. It's like Peter and John go to the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego playbook, and they respond by saying, yeah, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you know, we're going to go ahead and let that with you. You can judge that. You can do your natural thing. But as for us, we're going to go right back out there and keep on preaching. Now, I don't think they said that with arrogance. I don't think they were, you know, chest puffed out. No, rather, just listen. We can't obey you in this. We can't seen too much, we know so much, we've been commissioned for this, and yes, we understand what you're saying. If we keep on with this, lashes, 40 minus 1, or whatever else you're going to do us, that may befall us, can't be stopped. You can judge, but as for us, we can't but help speak of what we've seen and heard. So Peter, Peter's on fire, right? I mean, rise up and walk. And then he's arrested for it and with the leaders. Hey, thanks for the warning. I got it. We're in big trouble if we keep doing this. Can't be helped. We're going to keep doing it. The guy is on fire. So back to the question. He's already on fire. He's already bold. Why are they praying for what they already have? Why would you pray that way? I mean, I mean, who of us after last night's game or if you saw the stats this morning, like, you know, we, we, uh, we should probably pray for Leonard to, to run better. He had like 176 or 180 yards last night. That was like a bad day for him. It's crazy. I mean, in the natural, you're not thinking we got to pray for this guy to have more of that. He's already got it. Well, even before Ephesians 5.18 was written in ink, it was already on the hearts of Peter, John, and the early church. Ephesians 5.18 tells us in a present imperative way, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that present imperative means be filled, be filled, be filled, be filled, be filled. Keep on being filled. Now, I'm not smart enough to write commentaries, but if I was, I would write after that, we need to be filled because we just leak. We leak a lot. We're not made. We don't have the capacity to be filled up one time and then just run with that. I wonder if that's the design of God to keep a people dependent upon his spirit. You wonder? They prayed because they knew that their need for the Holy Spirit was a continual need. They prayed because they didn't presume that just because we were bold and with courage yesterday, we'll be bold and with courage tomorrow. Haven't you seen that in your own life? 
times where you've been bold and courageous or, or in faith. And then the very next day or the next week with a situation that may not even be as challenging as that one before. And that faith, that boldness, that courage is not there. I think they could relate to that if you can relate to that. I think they prayed as well because the kind of obstacles in front of them would not be overcome by relying on natural abilities. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for Jesus to keep stretching out his hand to perform signs and wonders because things like that aren't natural. They're supernatural. Well, let me sort of kind of introduce you to Ravi and Smita. This is a husband and wife living on the edge of a slum in Ahmedabad, India, city north of Mumbai. He's a pastor. They have a two-room home, and they've got a covered patio. The covered patio serves as the church meeting place. They're right on the edge of a Hindu slum by choice. They put themselves there. And they're there so that they can show the love of Jesus long before they get to proclaim the love of Jesus. They do this in a lot of ways. Smita teaches women to sew so that they can earn a living. They connect needy children with sponsors. They organize medical teams to care for the sick. They open up their home every day to the children either as they're going to school or coming back from school. Ravi and Smita supply food for widows. Uh, just briefly on that one, in traditional Hindu culture, to, to be a widow is to be thought a curse. And in their understanding, you, you don't help someone who's cursed. You might have empathy for them. I'm so sorry that that's your situation. But who am I to interject? Who am I to do? In fact, for me to help you could risk putting me under a curse. And so you even have the sons and daughters of widows who will not help their own mother. You know, in Scripture, as Christians... We get a totally different call, don't we? I mean, as Christians, I'm told this. Hey, Aaron, if your mother needs help, you do it. Don't let her become a burden to the church if you are in a position to do something about it. Well, nothing like that exists in the mindset of a traditional Hindu living in a slum in India. So Ravi and Smita do it. By the way, Ravi and Smita do all that they do while they live on about 150 U.S. dollars per month. You see, in Gujarat State, India, Christians may share their faith, but they may not entice someone to convert. Now, that word entice is wonderfully undefined in their culture. What in the world does that mean? And it's by design that they do that, so it makes it easy to arrest Christians. So Ravi and Smita, like Peter and John, they know the obstacles of proclaiming Jesus. They regularly receive threats. If you could go to their house, I was there this summer. They've got thick iron bars over the, they're not really windows, they're just, it's just a box hole in the concrete with thick iron bars to let the air flow through, but to keep criminals out, to keep harm out. Their door is <laughs> the thickest steel door I, I think I've ever seen on a house, and it's got three massive locks. I mean, don't think bike lock. It means one at the top, one at the bottom, one on the side that goes about four inches into the concrete wall at each point just to sleep with relative safety at night. But they keep on proclaiming. They stay and they keep on loving. How? I think the how is the same as Peter and John and the early church. They pray. And they pray. Has anybody been to India 
anybody been to a slum in India? It is chaos. It's absolute chaos. And if you've ever driven in India, watch a YouTube video. It's chaos. Everywhere is just chaos there. In other words, management isn't going to get much done. Trying to do things in the natural is not going to get things done. So Ravi and Smita and the church pray. God, you see all this. There is no way we can touch this insanity unless you come down and breathe on this place. So they don't pray for management. They pray for miracle. Because nothing less than the presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit can touch the needs or create the desire in people to want to touch those needs. You see, they pray the same because when, see, here's my challenge, maybe yours. I can read Acts for either like it's history or at least so disconnected from my daily life. When Ravi and Smita read Acts 4, they're living Acts 4. It's their life present day in India. Earlier this year, they had a medical team come to work with uh, the village again. I said they show the love of Christ before they get to proclaim it. Well, one practical way they do that is to bring medical care to people who otherwise are not going to get it. And so they come and they bring doctors and nurses and people to do minor things that at least can be done, but, but that we might just take for granted, but things that absolutely change lives over there. Well, one morning the team was getting ready to go out and we're told you, you can't come. You've got to stay back at the house, uh, the, the ministry house where they were staying. The reason was because Ravi and Smita had been arrested and taken to the jail. They were charged with proselytizing. Now, it was a false charge, but all the same, the charge was made and the police officers arrested them. Well, quickly, word was getting out around the slum because this was day three of the medical team. So the village knew that this was going on. They're expecting that morning to see the medical team. Well, they get word as to why the medical team is there. Bear in mind, this is mostly Hindus. Okay, these aren't Christians at this point, but this is, this is amazing. Residents from the slum that were being served by this medical team that was now not there, they went to the police station. First a few, a few more, a few more. Within a couple hours, 600 adult Hindus from that slum were basically banging on the door of the police station. This is what they're saying. If you're going to arrest them, arrest us too. Because all they could be accused of is kindness. And they were asked... You know, they told them, they had told the police officers that the only reason they said anything about Jesus is because we asked the question, why are you doing this? That this was the medical team. Why do you have these people here? Because we want to show you the love of Christ. Now, see, by the definition of enticing, that's supposed to be acceptable. Somebody didn't find it acceptable. Well, while all this is going on, they're waiting for the ones who had made the charge to show up. That's how things work in India. You sit in jail until your accuser shows up. It's a great system. They're declaring, arrest us. Well, the accusers never showed up. Maybe they were in the crowd. Maybe, maybe like the religious leaders in Acts 4, maybe the size of the crowd frightened them a little bit. Maybe they saw this wasn't going to go the way they thought. What was the church doing? What was the church doing while all this is unfolding? 
praying. Now I want to ask you a question. I can't prove this to you. I don't have evidence to tell you this, but I want to ask you a question. How do you think 600 unbelievers show up at a jail willing to put themselves in jail for two believers? How's that happen? Well, naturally, of course. Lakeview, there's nothing natural about that. Nothing at all. You know why. Because they prayed to a supernatural God. I don't know if I have 600 Christians who'd show up for my sorry self in jail. Yeah, I mean, I really, I, no, I don't even want to know if Keith would come. I don't know. I really don't know. I did tell the guys last night, if for any reason I get arrested during the game, don't come get me till after the game. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the game. I'll, I'll be there after. Come get me later. But I don't think 600 would have come for me. I'm not sure. We're not talking about 600 Christians. 600 Hindus. They were released. They got back. And that little patio with that little covering turned into an Acts 4, 29 to 31 modern day moment. Oh, God. Why do they plot? Why do they rage? Would you fill us up again that we could get right back out there and love even our accusers while you stretch out your hand to perform signs and wonders? Lakeview, I can't prove to you, but I want to suggest to you, Jesus stretched out his hand because the church asked him to and sent 600 Hindus to get two Christians freed from jail. I think that's the definition of a sign and a wonder. You see, Ravi and Smita, it's not just that they do pray this way. I think it's they must pray this way because Acts 2 through 4, if you read it all, it's their reality. It's not history. It's not just something that used to happen somewhere else. It is there every day. The possibility of physical harm is real. They have a daughter, Grace. I mean, any one of you, you would be like, like, I know she's your daughter, but can I adopt her and take her home anyway? She's just so cute, you know? You just, you see these kids running around and they've got little Grace. And you look at this girl and you think, why? There's got to be a better place for you to live and bring this little girl up. What are you doing with her hair? I mean, they're moms and dads, right? They've, they've got those temptations to give up, to move away to a place where nobody knows them, where grace will be safe. But they don't leave. Instead, the light of Christ in them invades the darkness. And just like here, it's true there, it's true everywhere. Darkness doesn't like the light. People are getting healed in that slum through the prayers of the church. Darkness doesn't like it. Instead of rejoicing, some people get angry and plot harm. I mean, the fear is real. At any moment, they may just say, yeah, we got to give this up. But they don't. But listen, it's not that they don't because they rely on themselves. They don't give up because they pray. And when they pray, they're not praying maintenance prayers. They're praying for miracle. God, you have got to move or this doesn't change. And they pray 
And I ask the same question, Ravi Smita, why do you pray? You already are this. You're, you're a living demonstration of what I want to be when I grow up in Christ. Why are you praying? Because they don't assume because they were strong and courageous and bold yesterday that they'll automatically be that way today and tomorrow. So they pray again. And again, apparently God intends that we live dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And isn't that what we see in Israel? I mean, you read, I mean, because we know how Exodus goes, it, it makes it hard to do this. But imagine you never read Exodus, okay? You've never read it. And you get that first moment. You know, they're like, what, a month out? And there's no bread, there's no water. And they start, they just start talking insane things. Yo, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us, didn't you? Yeah, that's what I did. I brought you all out here to kill you. Me, one person brought millions of you out here, and somehow I'm going to slyly kill you all. That's what I'm doing. I mean, they're panicking. They're in the natural, right? I mean, there's no water, there's no food. They're whining, bickering, grumbling. But then God comes through. Okay, quick, just quick quiz. Bread falling from the sky that you can eat is A, natural, or B, supernatural. Okay, big rock, hit it with a stick and water comes out. A, natural, or B, supernatural. Well, maybe Moses went out there ahead of time and put it. Now, stop it. No, he didn't. Moses didn't have any idea what to do. He was trying to tell God earlier, I don't think I can lead. But imagine you've never read Exodus, and then God brings the bread, brings the water, and you see Israel rejoicing. Might we be led to think, okay, they're good now. They're, they're good now. They got it. They got it for how long? Like a day? Spread's getting kind of stale, Moses. I'm tired of the bread. I know it's falling from the sky, and that's a little abnormal, but, you know, I'm still tired of it. I just got every nutrient we need to be sustained, but still, it's bread. They start talking, you know. You remember when Pharaoh used to do these barbecues? Remember when he would just invite us all over and we would just, ah, man. Why did we ever leave? <laughs> what? Honestly, think of the worst days after Katrina if you were here. And imagine somebody today having the audacity to say to you, remember how great it was? I mean, you know, just being able to raft in your living room, you remember how good it was? <laughs> yeah. I, I miss that. I kind of miss that. I, what, I mean, I think you might justifiably slap them in the face, right? I mean, people's lives were destroyed. But that was Israel. Their lives were in utter despair. And yet they get forward. And aren't we all a little wired like this? How present day trials and things that call us to go to a supernatural God, which means we got to stop trusting ourselves, lead us to look back on the past and redefine it like it was way better than it ever was. We are so forgetful. I am so forgetful. Peter and John understood that. Ravi and Smita understand that. So they pray. They pray the same. Ravi and Smita pray the same as Peter and John pray because they get it. I think God wants us to get it. There were so many obstacles to the gospel's advance in Acts 4. There were so many obstacles for Israel to advance. The biggest obstacle being Israel themselves. 
which I'm finding in my own life. You know what the greatest obstacle is in my life to the advance of Christ in my life? Me. Now, there are other obstacles. They're not the same. But John Piper captures it this way, describing our obstacles today. The obstacles we face making Christ known are great with the anonymity of neighborhoods created by mobility, the entertainment industry that keeps people saturated with the world and numb to spiritual things, a thoroughly God-ignoring culture, a medical technology so advanced and so available that people seldom think of resorting to God for help, and on top of all this, the relative weakness of the church very enmeshed in the values of the world they are supposed to confront with a radically different Christ. Is Christ radically different? Or is he an add-on? See, Ravi and Smita, they're desperate for the Spirit's power because, well, there are no medical technological advances in the slums of Ahmadabad. There's no grocery store at the corner in Ahmadabad. I mean, just basic things. You know, the church in Ahmadabad, they meet on Tuesday. You know why? Because that's the day of the week, every week you know there's no power to you because they got to disperse the power. I mean, imagine trying to run your life in New Orleans where you knew every, every week, one day a week, no power today. It's just their life. That doesn't mean the other six days the power is guaranteed, by the way. They just know with certainty on Tuesday, no power. So the church gathers and meet. So what about the lights and what about the sound and how does Pastor Ravi get his points up on the screen? Oh, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but we've got it really easy, don't we? We have got it so easy. But in Ravi and Shemitah's context, like the early church, the Holy Spirit coming moves everything from theory to reality. What do I mean by that? We got a lot of theory. I have a lot of theory. I got, a lot about, I got ideas about what God does do. But it's easy for them to stay in theory because so much of my life can be lived in the natural. The Holy Spirit for Ravi and Shemitah moves everything from theory to reality. You know... I once heard a dear friend and pastor, Bill Patton, say the following. He said, sometimes our greatest blessings can prove to be our greatest curses. There's a band I love, and they've got a song called Vice Versus, and they build on that idea. Every blessing comes with a set of curses. Lakeview. The blessings of our stuff, our relative ease hospitals and care centers on every clinic. You know those care centers that we whine about because the wait time out front said 24 minutes and we had to wait an hour. And that affects our day. I got somewhere to be, people to see. Like somehow the axis of the earth is going to be affected if I'm sitting in this care center for too long. Ravi and Smeeter are praying for people who 15, 17, 21 years never been seen by a doctor. Maybe some of our blessings are getting in the way of pursuing a supernatural God. Amen? Maybe. I'm speaking for me. I, I think there's a lot of ways in my life where 
I just, I gravitate toward management. You know what I mean? I mean, again, we've got, we've got all kinds of research just managing things. Working through, strategizing. Yet all the while, there's this counterintuitive call in Scripture to be a spirit-dependent people. And it, 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 it assumes some things. It assumes we're going to be willing to empty ourselves. It assumes we're going to be willing to not have the reins. It assumes we're not going to feel like we've got to be in control. And who of us in the U.S. of A. likes those feelings? There's so much in our life that we really can manage in the natural. But there are so many things we cannot now, think about this. You've got examples in your midst. I, I, I've, I've shared before. I, don't know, I didn't see you yet this morning, Peter Davidson, if you're here. I got the wrong last name because it wasn't you. It was another Peter. We prayed for his back a couple years ago. That Peter, thank you. The sound's pushing it back. We were upstairs in your... Meeting room upstairs. And we turned to pray. And it was a wonderful evening. Many of you were there. We just cried out to God for Peter. And God met him. God didn't manage his pain. God miracled his pain. And he testified to it that next morning right here. One year later to the day, he sent me an email. You see, you don't send emails to people a year later for things you manage. You remember, you remember how that house needed painted and we figured out how to paint it? Well, I'm celebrating the one-year anniversary of that. Nobody, nobody does that. But when your back is in agony and doctors don't seem to be able to do anything about it except manage it, and they mean well, but they're not God... And we actually have the faith to pray and we stop with all the ridiculous theological arguments and just get dependent and desperate. God, Peter, please. I'm not going to spend any time this morning on the mystery of healing. I don't know. That's the quick. I don't know why God is more glorified sometimes to heal and more glorified sometimes to not. I don't know. But my goodness, I don't want that to keep me from praying. You've got story after story in this church of this. There are a lot of things we can do in our strength, but living for God's glory, hearts on fire for him, boldly proclaiming him, having the faith to pray for God-sized things, those are not things we can manage, church. Those are things that need and acts for reality. I wonder what I would look like to Peter and John. What would they see? I hope increasingly they see me praying, if they're permitted to see, like they prayed. And the reason I want them to see that is because, and I believe this was in Keith and the leader's heart to bring this message for this reason, the prayers being prayed, the prayers like the prayers of Acts 4, 29 to 31, they're just as needed today. They're just as needed in New Orleans. They're just as needed in Lakeview as they were on that day in Jerusalem. If the early church needed to pray for fresh fillings of the Spirit, for boldness, for Jesus to stretch out his hand to heal and perform signs and wonders, are we any less needy? 
of the same thing. What, because it's 2015, are we now less needy? Because we have the canon of scripture, are we less needy? I don't think so. All my planning and reading of the latest must do, all our prosperity, easy. You, you know what book I don't read? Every I'm getting old enough now where books are just getting recycled. Like this is what the church must do. Here's 10 things you gotta do for leadership. Here's 13 things you have to do if you want your church to grow and on and on and on. I mean, the books are relentless. I never read the shortest book though. Pray. Live desperately and pray. Live like you're a citizen of heaven and not New Orleans or Orlando. Live like this is temporary and that's permanent. Live not trying to bring Orlando up to heaven, but heaven down to Orlando. Heaven down to New Orleans. Because all my planning, even all my reading of Christian published books on what I must do and my sanitized life may prove to be a hindrance to the work of the Spirit in my life personally and my church corporately. We could have the right doctrine and no spirit. We could have perfectly administrated services and no spirit. We could have nicely organized lives. Everything's got a place in a home, you know. And no spirit. We can start by the spirit and remember great works of the spirit, but we grow up so much we no longer depend upon the spirit. I love how the disciples pray. We're asking for boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Do you see what's absent in verses 29 30? Questions. Would you? Could you? Might you? They just... Presumed it in the best of presumptuous ways. This is who you are, Lord. This is what you said you'd do. And they believed it. Heaven got really close to the believers in that room in Acts 4. What if the, what if the distance between heaven and, if you will, Lakeview, what if it got really thin? Because prayers being ascended were that faith-filled. Think about this. Lake, Lakeview can be one of, I think there can be more than one ground zero. Lakeview can be ground zero for the Holy Spirit to come down in New Orleans. It could be. Why couldn't it be? By the Spirit, it could be. So, should we pray this way? Should we pray? Should we read Acts 4, 29, 31? Well, that's great history. It had been so cool to be around for the early church, right? It had been so cool to be there. But can we pray this way today? You know, I could get a stack of books and put them here. And they'd be books written by men I love and respect and have learned so much from. But, but when it comes to signs and wonders and healings, these books would say, hey, it's so wonderful what God did in the early church, but that's not for today. That was just for a time, but not for today. And those, those are respected writers, many of them. And then I could get another stack of books right over here, written by men I love and respect, who would say, those signs and wonders and fresh fillings of the Spirit we read about in the book of Acts, well, they're every bit as much for today as they were in their day. Well, which stack is right? Can you even have both stacks on your bookshelf? Who's right? 
You can, you can basically, you can choose conferences. You know that. You could choose conferences based on that. I'm choosing uh, uh, fresh fire or I'm choosing no fire. I'm choosing strange fire or this fire. Actually, I, I tell you, it was kind of funny. I was just rattling off on this at Metro a couple months ago. And uh, somebody, I, I said, you could change, you could choose strange fire or fresh fire in 2015 as your conference of choice. But I had made up Fresh Fire. I was just talking out loud. This poor guy went home and he's Googling the Fresh Fire conference. And he finally comes to me, where was that conference? I'm like, I'm so sorry. It wasn't even real. But it's like that. That's the, that's the, that's the insanity of it all. But you see, we can do so much maintenance in the U.S. of A that we can create these alternative conferences. I'm going to sit around and I'll listen to you. I'm going to sit around and listen to you. Listen, they're not arrogant people. Ravi and Smita don't conference, number one, because they don't have them. Number two, because they pray. Because they're staring at things right in front of their eyes that don't persuade them to think, I think I should go conference. I think that's what I should do. They pray. They pray. No money, no trappings, no conference, just Jesus, and they pray. You see, they don't have my blessings, or are they blessings? They see the sick healed, darkness pushed back, and the gospel advance. You know, I've had the privilege to travel a bit over the years. And I've seen things here. I've seen things in this church. I've seen things at Metro. I've seen things in a lot of places here. But I've seen more things in places I've traveled. And that's always bothered me, puzzled me. And I don't know the clearest answer. I'm not sure. But I am more and more persuaded of this. I think one of the biggest reasons for that could be that places I go third world places, places without means and resources, they have Christ, period. That's it, but he's more than enough. And they believe that, and so they pray. And, and if, you, if I didn't go sometimes and see these things with my own eyes, I, I could be as skeptical as the next person, like, why, okay, that's weird. What about, what about, yeah, the enemy can always masquerade that which is right and good. Oh, but my goodness, I don't want to get cynical and miss what God is saying here. And, and, and those two stacks of books, this is why I don't have to choose. This is why I'm persuaded you, if you need persuaded, you don't have to choose. Look at how they prayed again. Look at this prayer. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. In other words... Why do the kings of the earth, God, why do they act like they're you? They're quoting scripture. Why is that important? The prelude to their praying for the Holy Spirit to fill them, for, for God to continue to give them boldness, the prelude to praying is scripture. In other words, it is I would advocate sound doctrine that leads them to believe the Spirit's still working, not the absence of sound doctrine. Well, you pray that way because you're Pentecostal. And after all, I don't know any Pentecostals who have sound doctrine. Do you? They may be one of the most sound doctrine people around. Because there could be this one over here with sound doctrine, but just has no category for God invading what we want to maintenance with miracle. They pray the scriptures. The prelude to praying for a fresh outpouring of the spirit is praying the theology of who God is. This is who they knew God to be. God, the world's plotting and, and raging in vain. For Ravi and Smita are, are, are slum here. They're raging in vain. Will you come down? Will you come down? 
and intervene. And so in, in this little tiny Psalm 2 passage, you have the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of God's sovereignty, the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture, all packed right in there. And out of that, they pray for the Holy Spirit to fall on them. So if I'm going to go to a conference, it's going to be that one right there. That's it. It's not either or. It's both together. Let me appeal, if appeal even needs to be made, and I want to move to a close here in a moment. Set aside everything else for the moment. If you're a Christian, let me ask you, was your salvation story, is your salvation story maintenance or miracle? Who in this room reasoned themselves to faith? Who was intelligent enough, wise enough? to discern, this is what I need. I need Jesus. I know we have different salvation stories. But speaking of my own, oh, there's no question. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was as far away from God as I could be. The moment I got saved, I was in the act of being as far away from God as I could be. Let me just say it this simply. I didn't plan my night out in October of 1989 this way. I'm going to go burglarize a factory to then resell the stuff we steal. And right after that, I'm going to receive Jesus. That is not how that night went down. And you don't have to be in the act of burglary when you get saved to realize your conversion story, whatever it is, is miracle, not maintenance. Well, if we began that way, doesn't it follow that we're going to keep on living that way? If we had to depend upon Lord at the, the Lord at the first, won't it be that way till the very last? I think it will be. I met with Naomi this past Tuesday morning at Metro. We had a prayer meeting last Sunday night. We had what you might call a divine appointment before that at a youth meeting. Naomi had all kinds of skepticism and solid reasons for skepticism. But what overruled all that was the Lord just met her. The Lord met her. We prayed. There was a word, an impression about her stomach. And she had that look of, <laughs> you all want to what? You, you, it was kind of like, it started with it. You could pray for me, but from a distance. Sure, pray for me. I'm not going to deny that, that, great, pray for me. But no, no, Naomi, we want to pray for you to be healed tonight. Can we pray for you? she was healed. And it awoke something in this 33-year-old mother. Oh, my goodness, the question she now has. She said, as I was being prayed for, something filled me. A fire burned, but it didn't burn me. That's not maintenance. See, I want to be a, a, f 
follower of the Lord, I want to be in a church that believes this, that God's purpose at any time may be to pour out His Spirit in a fresh way, to give us a boldness of faith and a power to live for Him in our day while we trust Him to keep stretching out His hand to perform signs and wonders. That, that the church would be strengthened, that unbelievers would testify if they come into Lakeview, surely God is in that place. God is among you. I want to be found desperate, not maintenance. I want to, in the words of John Piper, if you'll picture both of those stacks of books in view, I want to keep my keel deep and stable in the once for all biblical revelation of God, and I want to have my sails unfurled to every movement of God's spirit upon the deeps. Many of you, you know boats. You got a very big river out there. You know what a keel is. What is that keel? That keel is what keeps that boat stable. That keel is what keeps that boat balanced. Well, that's what we've got in, in the revealed word of God. This is our keel, church. Boats also have sails. And what Piper is saying, when the wind blows, I want to get that sail unfurled. Keel right there, stable. But I want that sail unfurled because if the wind is coming, I want to be with it. And I love that. That's what I want for my life. I pray that's what you want for yours. We need a spirit-filled life because we need miracle, not maintenance. So what do we need? And I'd ask the worship team if you want to return. I think what we need is right here in Acts 4, 29 to 31. We simply need to pray this. By simply, I mean in faith. I mean desperate. I mean believing. You see, this is important. The early church, verse 31, it says they were shaken you notice they didn't pray for, for, for a manifestation. They didn't pray to be shaken. They prayed to be filled. And the point of this is that we're not after particular manifestations. We're not after weirdness. We're not after the unusual. We're after God. Now, however, if God determines what Lakeview needs is for a mighty rushing wind to blow through, well, then blow. If what, if what individuals in Lakeview need is, is like Naomi, a fire in their, in their gut, well then, Lord, bring it. But that isn't what we're praying for. We're not praying for the manifestation. We're praying for God. We're praying for God to come down. God, break whatever needs broken in me that I, I would live like this. You said you'd send a helper, and I declare I need help to help. God, I can be like those, the, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. I can get comatose and just manage. I can go to natural places. Let me ask you that. What might you be tempted to manage in your life today where the Lord may be saying, it's not management I'm seeking from you. I want you to ask me to move. Would you stand with me? I, uh, thanks for your patience. I'm too long this morning. But if, if, you, if you can bear a minute, I, I, I talked to Keith. I just want to confess a couple things. Uh, I'm really uncomfortable right now. And I've wrestled with this. I, I get impressions at times that I don't want to share because I might look like a fool. But honestly, sincerely, Lakeview, there, there's one thing that trumps that 
and I mean this, I don't have to live with you for this to be true. I love you more than I fear you. And if I do look like a fool, well, my flight leaves at five, so it's a couple hours. But I knew in Keith's heart and I trust in yours wasn't, wasn't a lesson. But why, God? What do you want to do? So I'm just going to share. I prayed for you this morning and last night and the day before. And just like God to drive this home in my own soul for dependency, do you know not one impression came until right there in worship? Not because I was, I was praying Thursday, Friday, Saturday, nothing, crickets, what? And then, as if I had something to learn, because I do. I was like, no, you just, you just get there. I, I will do it. You're not doing anything, Aaron. You just be the mouthpiece. And I submit this to you as impressions. God is perfect. Sometimes our getting out what we think God is saying is imperfect, okay? Don't put your trust in man. But if any of these describe people here this morning, I've got to believe it's because God wants to do something. And it isn't a show. I believe there's an individual with a bulging disc maybe near your neck. I think the Lord wants to heal you today. And Keith, maybe there are people who have faith to pray for healing. Maybe we could use them in a moment. There, there's some individuals with long-standing depression. And it's created a guilt and shame. And specifically in this way, what is it? What is the sin? What have I done? What am I not doing? And I believe the Lord wants to first encourage you. This has nothing to do with sin. You're not in sin. This is that the name of the Lord would be glorified today. And you would be set free today. In particular, I think there's, there's a few people there, but, but in particular, impression, there's a man and you're known to be strong. You're known to be in control. You're successful in many ways. And so this is so contradictory to how people know you. So you've just tried to keep it hidden in shame. Now I believe the Lord wants you to come out and be set free today. I believe there's an individual with undiagnosed stomach pain, undiagnosed meaning you've been, you've been to doctors, nothing, and that's so discouraging because you've even wondered if maybe some people in your life question whether it's even real, but you know it's real because it's like sword thrust coming right into your gut. I believe the Lord wants to encourage you that he knows it's real, he sees and he wants to, he wants to move. There's an individual who's had a broken bone twice. That bone's been broken twice. It's creating a lot of limitations and fear for you. You're just worried if it happens again. I, I think the Lord wants to strengthen that bone with the strength that you never had before it was ever broken. So those are physical. A couple others. Individuals like on a tightrope with two lines. And the line started, you thought the lines were close, but the line's getting further apart. One line is Jesus, one line's the world. And you're at that point where you can't get stretched any further. You gotta let go of one of those lines and firmly grasp the right line. And you wanna grasp the line that is Christ, but you can't remember life without being on both lines. You've not known that freedom. You fear letting go. I believe the Spirit is saying to you, let go and let me. I believe we're to pray for a lady named Jessica who's carrying a great burden that Satan himself is seeking to persuade you, you've got to keep, keep quiet about. 
I believe he wants to free you this morning. I mentioned Naomi. I think there's some 18 to 25 year olds in particular for whom today may be a day of demarcation in this way. In Luke 24, 32, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us and opened the scriptures referring to Jesus? Ah, and this is where the foolish over faith battle. <laughs> I think you're literally experiencing heat in your body. Not a normal heat. Something's going on in you and you're not sure what it is. I believe that's the spirit of God burning dross to make more room for Jesus. And I believe he wants us to pray for you. Dross is getting consumed because batons of leadership are waiting to come to you and he wants you to ready yourself and he's gonna do that in mercy. And I think too, this one may not be prophetic. I certainly have had conversations. Keith and Gina, I believe we're to pray for you for a renewal of your youth in the spirit that the cares of life have slowly seeped away. Like that pool in your backyard that it takes water so high, but then it, for an unknown reason, it can't seem to hold the water above it. That, that the cares of life have, have felt like that. We just can't seem to get up. And we get a moment, but then it seeps back down. I believe the Lord wants to take away sorrow and weariness. And even before the circumstances change, bring laughter and faith back into your souls. So now the really fearful part for you too. God help us. Does any of that, obviously Keith and Gina, because I said Keith and Gina. <laughs> I don't know any Jessica, so. If that's you, any of what you just heard, you believe the Lord speaking to you, can you identify yourself? And if he grants you the courage and grace, can you come forward? And as we sing... Maybe there'll be a friend, pastor, uh, people who, who are particularly in faith, gifted to pray. I don't think the Lord wants you identified just to say, hey, got it, but to move. So Lord, I pray you grant faith now. And I ask you, make us a people of miracle, not maintenance. Because this city needs miracle, not maintenance. The lost in this city need miracle, not maintenance. We believers, your children, we need miracles, not maintenance, because we're just prone to maintain when you want to do so much more. Have your way in our midst now. Heal the sick, touch the brokenhearted, restore youth like an eagle, we pray. And Lord, I pray beyond right now, I pray for testimonies that are going to come. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, next Sunday, I pray there'll be a line of people to declare this is what the Lord did. And I thank you for the patience as I've been long-winded. Have your way now.
thank you for another fresh reminder this morning what it means to belong to the living God. What it means to be, as the scriptures say, a peculiar people. A people for your own possession. A people to show forth the excellencies of you who have called us out of darkness and into your light. God, we once were not a people, but now we are the people of God. And so, Lord, there is something peculiar about how we live our lives, how we do daily life. We have a connection. We have permission. We have holy ground granted to us. God, we are well informed this morning and, and we stand amazed by grace that there's no reason in us as to why we are a special people to you. But God, we must not overlook that you have made us a special treasure, a possession of all the peoples on the earth, and therefore you show up in our lives in peculiar ways. So Lord, we join with those who have gone before us. Lord, we join with Israelites coming out of Egypt and we join with a first century church and Lord we scratch our heads right along with them your ways are strange to us and they are mysterious and we need to be comfortable with mystery and so Lord thank you for another reminder that our God is mysteriously in our midst and he is here present today and he will be here with us tomorrow and he'll be here with us next week and Lord, every aspect of life that needs something that cannot be managed by us, it must be miracled by God. Lord, teach us how to receive that from you and how to wait on that from you and how to pursue that from your hand. So Lord, you are kind and patient to teach us these things. And we look forward to growing in them all the more. And thank you for this morning and the help we've received in doing that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys.